Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Veronica Funis, welcome to the Almost Awakened podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Bill? Good, good. Glad to have this chance to sit down with you. Uh, on the podcast that I do, we talk about pretty much everything. So we've done episodes on how music can help people to handle trauma or to move into the second half of life and start deconstructing things. Uh, we've had conversations around sexuality. We've had conversations around conscious altering tools. Um, shadow work and, and ways in which people kind of deconstruct the arbitrary constructs that they were given in that first half of life and their need to kind of fit in and, and uh, compromise themselves. And then, you know, now all these folks are moving into the second half of life and they're wanting tools and resources. And sexuality is that arena that I think is really, it, it holds more emotion, uh, more shame and judgment, more uh, complexities to to making healthy choices than any other segment of our life, right? Like it's easy to make a decision to go like, all right, you can go uh, eat Italian food tonight and I'll go eat Mexican food tomorrow. Uh, sexuality, whenever somebody is trying to negotiate their sexuality, it it is a much tougher issue and there's so much more at stake, it feels like. Uh, but before we get started, would you mind just introducing yourself, who you are, kind of uh, where you are in your education, what kind of field you're looking to go into and what you're looking to kind of accomplish and and we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Veronica Funes. Um, I graduated uh, undergrad at the University of Arizona in 2019, where I studied gender and women's studies. And I was also a peer educator and facilitator for our school's only sexual assault prevention program, as well as um, healthy relationships education. So that really got me interested in sexuality <laughs> and um, wanting to help people have better sex um, and communicate about these issues. Um, and I was just, you know, around a lot of people, a lot of women and men that were just did not receive good education, good understanding about sex and what a healthy relationship looks like, which, you know, we'll definitely get into. And uh, that word healthy, <laughs> I have trouble with because I feel like it doesn't always encompass everything. But um, yeah, now I'm out in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and I am in a training program called, uh, it's with the Somatica Institute, created by Danielle and Celeste I'm out in San Francisco. And I'm um, going to be on the certification track so that I can become an intimacy in sex and relationship coach in the future. How long is that program? So um, it, there is a process to go through the certification track. And the first um, training that I'm doing is the core training. And that that's about six months long. Um, with intensive uh, weekend trainings once a month and, you know, homework throughout. Um, and then you, I have to repeat that training again as an advanced student with a little more um, work with the founders and, you know, a little more involved as well as doing practice sessions, things like that. And there's also an exam um, for certification. So it, it also depends on when you can enroll in the program, um, but it should be about, you know, um, no longer than two years, depending on when I get into the next training and complete it. Gotcha. First question I wanted to kind of go into is this idea of shame. And, and 
you know, the, the rules have been created over 200,000 years, let's say, as human beings have been trying to figure out what a good society looks like. And there's lots of formats for that, both in this moment in 2020 across various countries and places in the world, but also across the breadth of time. And uh, one of the things we humans have always done as we've collected in tribes and groups is we've created boundaries. And those boundaries, a lot of times impose shame for not being part of the tribe and doing what the tribe expects you to do. So here we are in 2020. And I, I, I wonder, you know, I say that again, or 2021. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. We all got to catch up, right? It's here we are almost the end of January. So 2021, yeah, thank God 2020 is gone. And hopefully 2021 starts to self-correct some of those things. Um, Here we are in 2021 and uh, folks are trying to negotiate their sexuality. And my audience, as I was telling you yesterday, they carry a lot of shame and judgment from previous systems that they belonged in. Uh, I guess my question is, is shame, is shame always bad? Because I think it is bad a lot of the time. Is shame always bad? Or do you think it serves uh, a function uh, in the world, maybe at large, but specifically within sexual negotiations and sexuality? Yeah, when it comes to sex and sexuality, that shame does not have a place for it. I, I feel strongly about that. I feel, you know, if we kind of unpack all that there is in terms of sex and sexuality, kind of what's on the menu, we like to call it in my program. If we also step, let's step back for a second. Our sexuality really, a lot of our core desires, you know, like what deeply turns us on, for example, um, or even just our attachment style, you know, how we relate to others in relationships, what turns us on, what what we're looking for in partners stems from our childhood experiences you know, and that is, that's natural. And that's not our fault. It's not even, you know, you can blame your parents up to a, up to a point, but they have their own wounds, right. And their own childhood. So we, I think it's really important to ground ourselves in the fact that like core desires are, are formed from childhood. Sexuality is natural. And some of these things that we feel deep shame about a lot of times are all of it's normal, but if we feel deep shame about something you know, odds are someone else is turned on by that, you know? Um, and it's not always what it looks like, you know, which we can get into. Like if you're watching certain pornography or you're turned on by certain dynamics, it's not necessarily like, okay, I like this part about it. It's really about feelings. That's what I'm, I'm taught. And that's what I try to teach others. It's, it's really about what the feeling you're trying to achieve behind the desire. It's not necessarily, you know, what the visual is or, um, all of the, parts in it. So when you look at it that way, I think it can take a, unload a lot of that shame and we can find a lot of compassion, like an understanding behind what turns us on. Um, another thing is when we make people feel shameful for the uh, what turns them on, you know, they just want to hide and do an and outsource maybe more deceitfully or more or dangerously and like achieve that turn on in really like maybe even illegal ways. Right. Or like violent ways or, or hurting other people or hurting themselves. So we also try to focus on highlighting to these two folks that like, you know, we care about you and your safety. Um, so let's get this turn on in a safe and consensual way. Right. And, and, and what, let's get that feeling in a, in a different way. Cause there's, you can be so creative in this realm and that's what I love about it. Um, we just have to approach it with curiosity and non-judgment and realize like, it's not our fault that we have these, these desires, you know? Yeah. I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head in terms of, uh, the, the religious system that I belong to and that many of my listeners did, 
<coughs> excuse me, they, um, they were handed a set of rules and the, their partner's expectations of what their sexuality should look like, what is normal, right? The idea of mm-hmm. what, uh, what things we can do in the bedroom, what things we can't, what kind of conversations we can have, whether, whether masturbation is shameful or not, whether watching pornography is shameful or not, whether somebody can have a conversation about their sexuality being so different that maybe they don't get filled by their partner and they need something beyond that, right? And, and so there's not even space to have these conversations. And so what ends up happening for most of these folks is exactly what you pointed at, which they end up having some kind of compulsion that is in the shadows. That is, you know, that, that they get up at 2 a.m. and jump on their computer and watch pornography while their partner sleeps, or, or they, they claim to not be ever touching themselves, right? And in reality, they are. And, and yet the wife walks in and catches him or the husband walks in and catches her. And, and now there's this fracture of relationship. And we never get to a place for many of these folks in the first half of life where, where we can even have the conversation and be able to say like, let me, let me just open myself up and show like, here's what I look like inside. Here's what's going on. Here's what my needs and wants are. I can't even, I can't even begin to approach that conversation. That's where many of these folks are. So I think you're right that it is um, very much kind of likely to turn into unhealthy behaviors. If we treat someone's normal human expression as something bad, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, the, it's, and it's not just, it, it is, it's, it's, it's family messages. Um, it's religious messages. It's, it's also gendered, right? Like different messages for men and women um, because we get socialized through shame in different ways. And, you know, it restricts our, our self-expression and we feel inadequate. We, and we feel like we can't live up to these expectations but we need to have like resiliency with that but it's so hard if even you're you know you can't even have these conversations with your partner you know someone you you share a lot with you know um but it it can be really hard to discuss for for because if you know i think it's also really hard to discuss with your partner because it's hard for you to even look at you know it's hard for you to even peel back yourself it's scary. It's, it's, there's judge, you have your own judgment and you're like, well, what does that, what does that mean? What does that make me like, does that define me? And, and how, how, if you can't even look at yourself, you know, and have compassion and love and curiosity for yourself, how are you supposed to share that with your, with your intimate partner? You know? Right. Why why is sex this unique issue? Like I mentioned there at the beginning, the restaurant we go to, we can compromise and negotiate pretty simply. Um, you know, I think it gets a little tougher when we're talking about how to raise a child. I think there are issues within relationships that are on a spectrum of easy to negotiate and difficult to negotiate. And yet sexuality seems to be the most emotionally, uh, we tend to be the most irrational and, and um, illogical when we're having a conversation around sex. Why is sex the thing that causes the most emotion and irrational thinking and the most halting to negotiation? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. Sex, it's 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 hard because I think we have a lot of these what we like to call in somatica is are these myths that our culture sort of props up that makes it really hard and difficult to just like be curious and communicate. So, you know, we have this idea that um one of them is sex should just happen and, you know, um we shouldn't talk about it, right? Like it's just kind of like for procreation, right? Like we should just know what to do. We have the tools, we're humans, right? It's something natural, but that's not really the case. You know, we don't actually know what we want. Then how can we really 
communicate about that. So sex doesn't just happen. <laughs> like it definitely needs communication. It needs um, consent. It needs boundaries. It needs understanding of what's on the menu. You know, we don't know, even know what's on the menu. I like to bring it back to food, like you were suggesting, because yeah, honestly, sex in a lot of ways is like a drive similar to, you know, hunger. I think it's that natural, but if we don't even have a menu in front of us or our menu is, is, um, the menus coming from religion or um, what, you know, media, especially they're bad examples and they don't tell us how we get there. They might show people making out, hooking up, but they don't show the awkward fumbles or the, the realness that, that occurs and the emotional connection that often needs to be there or at least sexual attraction. Um, I think another myth too, is that like there are some socially acceptable desires versus um, shameful ones. Right. And we can, go back to what you were saying is what's normal and healthy looking um, versus maybe what's like deviant and sinful kind of like what's in that sphere of socially acceptedness, you know, it's, it's marriage, it's monogamy, it's vanilla. um, It's often heterosexual. It's often thin bodies. Like we have to really look at what is viewed as acceptable. Um, And then, you know, in the deviant out, outer ring it's it's the kinks right it's taboo it's multi-partners it's even just masturbating or incorporating toy use you know um for some people so i think what what feeds that um is also the fact that sex is pathologized and trivialized in our culture at the same time it's it's really funky how we can do that you know like we say it's not important at all um we trivialize it, but then we also pathologize it. So like if people are into sex or if there's, if they have a high interest in sex then they're a pervert, right? They're, they're a freak. Um, they, they get shunned. They, you know, why are we, or, or it's, why are we focusing on this unimportant endeavor? You know, it's just to have babies. So it's really, we get such mixed messages about sex. It's like, we care so much about it, but then we say you shouldn't. And, um, I think one one other last part about it is that, you know, again, it just is very, it's deeply, deeply a part of who we are. And it's really hard to sometimes accept, accept that and accept who we are. <laughs> you know, I think it makes it really hard to share in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a question here in, in terms of like how shame affects us. Um, how does it prevent us from being our kind of our best person? I, I, I try to, on this side of life, I try to find good human beings to develop friendships with people who are willing to be vulnerable, people willing to be at least somewhat transparent, right? We're all holding back parts of ourselves, even in our most intimate relationships. And yet we all want to fully show ourselves, right? But, but we're always gauging the risk of doing that and whether that's productive or not, or whether that's going to end up with a, some sort of ostracization. Um, I've got a, I've got a friend that I was sitting with, and this is somebody that I've developed a, a deeper friendship with, and, and they've been willing to be vulnerable and transparent. And we're sitting around and we're just talking about who we are. And he goes, he goes, Bill, I want to, I want to tell you my kink. I want to tell you what it is. I'm, I'm kind of afraid to tell you. I'm worried that you're going to judge me. And, and then he tells me, and it's just, it's one of the ordinary ones. It's like, like, dude, seriously, <laughs> you stressed over that. I thought you were going to tell me, and again, no offense to these folks, but I thought you were going to tell me like you wanted to be like in diapers and be, you know, fed a bottle or something. And, uh, and, and, but we're so afraid. We're so afraid to tell people who we are. Um, and shame is really the the thing that, that hinges on, that we're just scared to tell our wife or our husband, our boyfriend or our girlfriend, our, uh, our parents or our friends or whatever, any piece of us, whether it's sexual or otherwise, because we're afraid that we're going to be judged as not 
acceptable and we all want to be accepted. Uh, Are there any other ways that maybe shame shows up and is negatively affecting us or um, that shame keeps us from being kind of our best self? Because I think you pointed at the the hidden expression of our sexuality and often the dangers and unhealthiness of that. But is there any other things that come to mind in that, in that question? Absolutely. Um, You know, I think even, even personally, something that moved me um, into this, this project of like wanting to unravel shame for myself and folks is that um, specifically with, you know, you see shame in so many ways in sexuality. It's, it's literally, it touches on everything, but one that was really important to me was um, body shame. And especially in relation to, to sex and sexuality and, you know, the images we are fed in pornography um, and what I was kind of seeing growing up. Um, I thought my body wasn't normal. You know, I thought my, um, you know, genitals didn't look right. I thought it didn't, you know, look like what the, or, or maybe it was, it was resembling something in porn and there were names for it, you know, and that can just crush you in the bedroom. You don't even, well, you don't want to masturbate. You don't want to look at yourself. Then you don't explore. Then you don't know, you know, how to explain it to your partner, what you like. You won't even let them go there. It can be so, so deeply, you know, um, traumatic for folks like if they aren't comfortable with their body if they feel shame about their body um even just for you know size like if you don't feel good in your at your weight level you know you don't feel sexy you don't have sexual self-esteem um so i think that shame it's definitely huge in in our and how we like perceive our appearance and that can really uh, you know i can go it can divulge and and you know people comparing you know, penis size, for instance, things like that. Um, people just feel really bad about themselves. Um, and it doesn't make them feel like they can, you know, have sex with the lights on or even, or even have share intimacy with someone else. They just go sit on their computer, you know, and, and find that way there's no shame, right? No one's judging them for how often they're on the computer looking at this stuff or um, no one's judging them for what their body looks like. And it makes a lot of sense why you would then, do something like that. Um, I think there's also, you know, shame in sexual performance um, is a huge thing. Uh, um, you know, a lot of there are women that struggle with with low desire and low arousal, um, and then they feel, you know, obligated to have sex, um, and they're not uncovering what really turns them on and what could really get them going. Um, we also see, you know, men with the performance anxiety that kind of translates into erectile dysfunction, you know, which um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but a lot of these quote unquote, like sexual dysfunction issues are not as much physiological, like they're very psychological and they're very much bound up in this, in this shameful cycle, I believe um, that can really, you know, tamper down one's sexual appetite and turn on and just self-esteem. Yeah. So if you're not okay with the way you look, if you're feeling shame about your body, if you're feeling shame about your performance or whatever, it, it actually hinders you much more significantly than high cholesterol, right? Like, like <laughs> yeah, people, yeah. yeah, the people who are having these issues, like you say, most of the time, it's not a, it's not a real health issue. It's yeah. something going on inside your brain that that's kind of got a barrier or a wall up. And, and right. so the, I think you're pointing to something, which is that for those folks who feel these things and then have some type of barrier that's blocking them from being their full self, like, 
it, it does some good to address those inner issues inside our head around these things because we can come out essentially better, better lovers, better performers in the bedroom anyway, which is what we all want. We all want that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into some of the positive things now. So we've kind of deconstructed some of the, the barriers, some of the issues, some of the things that are going on that, yep. that negatively affect us. Um, let's move into how people can, can begin to be healthier and more productive in their sexuality within their relationships. Uh, the first one is how can a couple negotiate their sexuality without imposing shame or manipulating their partner? And I think this is tough. When my wife and I have had sexual negotiations the way to do it in the past was always to manipulate the person into being what you wanted them to be. Right. Um, from, from my wife's side, there's this idea that, you know, there's a sense of ownership. Like I own this other human being. And so their sexuality needs to show up in a way that I'm okay. Um, it, it, it tends to show up from my end in terms of manipulating and coercing my wife to try new things or to do new things in the bedroom. Right. And, and all of that's unhealthy. All of that is stuff we shouldn't be doing. And, and yet none of us know how to get, what we want, or at least to even talk about what we want and to begin to figure out how to compromise to get there. What, what can, what can a couple do that's negotiating their sexuality so that shame isn't part of that negotiation? Right. That's such a good question. And thank you for sharing so vulnerably. Um, that's, that's, that's like one of the first, you know, steps is, is being able to be vulnerable in this space, creating a safe space with your partner where you can be really gentle, you can be exper- experimental. Um, but I think the very first part is, you know, it, it's an individual project, right? So maybe one partner has done a lot of this self-exploration, has really pinpointed what turns them on. Okay, that's great. But like, let's meet your partner where they're at, right? Like if your partner hasn't really done any of this excavation um, into their, you know, desires and they might not even know what's available to them, you know? Um, so if they haven't done that, that project on their own, then you can, there's no way you can uh, start negotiating these, these sex acts or things like that. Um, so my, yeah, the first recommendation would definitely be making, uh, creating an open space, going in an open mind, non-judgmental, you know, and really emphasizing like that you're, you're sharing feelings. It's move beyond sex acts. Because underlying all of these things that you want to do, there's a feeling involved. And you're a lot more likely to get that, get what you want when you share your feeling because your partner can understand and maybe relate. Like, for instance, you know, maybe a certain act that you want to do makes you feel like um, a dominant feeling is, is a typical feeling that maybe men like to feel a lot of times in the bedroom. So if you share that you want to feel, you know, powerful by doing this position, right? Or you want to feel like you are um, ravishing uh, your partner or you're, that you're absorbing them. Or like, if you can start using feeling words, um, you're a lot more likely to move your partner in the direction of understanding, you know, like, oh, hey, like, I like feeling powerful, you know, like, I can totally see why you'd want to feel that way. Um, let's, let's see how we can achieve that feeling. And um, flexibility is so important too right? Like you might have your heart set on like, this is what I want to do. I want to have like a three-way. I want to open my relationship. I want to, you know, let's, let's dial it back because again, like maybe there's other ways that you can get that feeling of like union or wanted or being seen that are a little 
less intense for your partner. If yeah, that's- if that's your first conversation, you're probably you're probably <laughs> going to cause more damage than than anything. Yeah. If you if you just say like, look, we haven't really talked about vulnerable things before, but I'd like to have a threesome. That that's probably yeah, not going to go like, well. Like, um, that's going to make your partner's defensive reaction goes like skyrocket. You know, they're going to feel unwanted. They're going to feel unloved. They're going to feel shameful that they're not providing for you. You know, like there's all these things. So that those are all really important. And then I think also, um, in my specific training, we really emphasize, um, embodiment. So getting out of our heads and feeling from a, like a felt sense in our body and um, something that can really bring partners into bring their nervous systems down so that they can actually have these kinds of conversations is um, doing things like breath work and, you know, cuddling and holding each other and strong eye contact and like repeating affirmations like, like, you know, I will not leave you like, you know, like showing that secure attachment up front. Um, there's a guy named like, I think Stan Atkin or something. He has a book called like wired for love that, that, um, has a good portion on attachment and, you know, how folks have different styles and are, um, how to keep the couple bubble safe. He likes to say, and one way to do that is just like affirming that relationship, you know, making sure you're strong in that before you start talking about negotiating sex, you know, and being gentle, um, So another way to do it is also um, changing the language around what you're saying is really important. So again, like emphasizing the feelings you want to have, being patient and empathetic. And um, you can say something like maybe in the past, for example, you've pushed and pushed for something. Show like attunement and empathy to your partner. Say, look, pushing for, I don't know, anal, for instance, must have felt like really pressuring to you. You know, I, however, I've done, you know, I've done the excavation. I've, I've learned about myself a little more. I've learned some new things about myself. And, you know, these things could be about those feelings maybe that you are uncovering, or maybe it could go back to your childhood experiences, which have highlighted why you want to f- have these feelings, right? Like maybe you were bullied when you were younger and, or you didn't get a lot of touch and now you want to receive a lot of touch. And so if you can anchor it in like my, your childhood experiences or have something to show that what you've learned about yourself, then say, Hey, can we try this conversation again differently? You know, um, have the goal of like understanding each other and, um, feeling connected is a lot different than having the goal of like, I want this like hotter orgasm and you're not involved in it, or I just need you to do this thing for me. You know, it's, it's definitely opens it up a lot at a lot more of an empathetic approach, I think. Yeah, I love, I love. So as you're talking, I'm making notes on some of these things because these are things that I think are deeply important that you're hitting on. This idea of starting with empathy for where your partner is, not just jumping right to, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've been holding this back for 20 years. Let me tell my wife, I, I want to do this thing, right? I want to start choking her tonight, right? Like, exactly. like we can't just jump into that. Yeah, and I think to bring it back, you know, um, we've been exposed though to like pornography and movies where they don't show the seeds being planted and sowed, you know, <laughs> like right. they show, yeah, one night I, you know, yeah, I started choking my wife and it was hot. Like that's really not how it's going to go. If No, no. If, if you just wing it and just decide to choke her one night, that's just not going to go well. There needs to be a conversation beforehand. Yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 and boundaries like need to be discussed and, and a safe word is, is, is something you can bring up too, I think is, is also important. And, but these, but also like recognize that like this 
shit is awkward. Like it's going to be awkward. It's not going to be hot immediately. And maybe that thing you wanted so badly when you try it out, maybe it's actually not really something you're that into and that's okay too. So not being like tethered to expectations, like really just having fun and, and team using teamwork with it. Like you guys are, are in it together and it's going to be messy. It's going to be silly. It might be really not hot until it is, you know, until you work some things out, try like experimenting is just so important. And I think, um, another thing with this is, um, like asking for feedback, you know, like saying like, I want feedback and like emphasizing, like, you know, you also don't have to tell me every part of your fantasy or desire right away, but know that there is no right way or place to share these things with me. Because when you emphasize that it it creates a more open, inviting space and there's not as much judgment, right? You're saying, you know, send me, you know, maybe it could be something as like, Hey, is there ever a TV show or a book that like, maybe there was one scene or that had a lot of details in it that, or maybe even it was just one action that turned you on. Show your partner that, give them, give them some, something to give them some materials, you know, to, to look at um, some examples of what you really want. Um, I think that can be really, really helpful and, and kind of fun and, and maybe, you know, enticing for both of you in the process. Yeah, these are all good things. And, and you know, I mentioned there starting with empathy, which you talked about kind of at first. Um, I think a big one you hit on was sharing the feeling behind the act you're looking for. So you mentioned like, look, I'm looking to have some sense of dominance. I'm looking to have some sense of being in charge. That's important to me. Rather than going to like, oh, I'd like to role play this really dominant, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think letting your partner know what you're trying to achieve that, that you mentioned, I think that's huge. So I'm hoping listeners kind of pick up on that. Um, you also mentioned, let me see if I've got it here. Uh, share the history. You talked about how like, Oh, mentioning that early in your childhood, you didn't get the touch you needed. And so now you need it. Uh, I've been pretty vulnerable on this podcast saying like, look, I love relationships where, you know, we have a friend come over to our house and we watch a movie and we hold hands while we're watching the movie. Touch is my love language. And, um, when I first tried to tell my wife, say like, look, I need some level of intimacy beyond what the world sees as normal. And I need more connection and intimacy with people around me. I need to be able to sit next to my friends and put an arm around them or hold their hand or, um, you know, scratch their back or give them a shoulder rub. Those are important to me. My wife at first was like, I don't really understand this. And then it's when I say like, Hey, here's my history. Here's what I thought was going on as a child. And here's where I felt I wasn't getting what I needed or I wasn't all of a sudden these conversations because my wife loves me, right? Like she wants me to be happy. And so now she starts to see the reason for why these things are important. And now she can make some sort of compromise that she wouldn't have made if I'm just stating the thing I'm trying to get to on the end, but rather the reason behind why I'm trying to get there. So I think that was a huge point as well. Um, you mentioned to keep giving feedback to each other. Obviously, that's a huge part of negotiation is to constantly be touching base with each other and saying how this went. You know, what did you think of this conversation? What did you think of this experience? Uh, but I'm also curious what what healthy compromise looks like. Like, what is what is a healthy negotiation? Because, and I'll get to this on the last question too, There's you have two human beings and they're both very different from each other. They both want even if they're very aligned, they still want some different things. Mm-hmm. And negotiation becomes, I think on the front end, very painful. When when you sit down after having been, for instance, in a high demand fundamentalist religion for a chunk of your life, and you have all these arbitrary constructs that you feel shame over, to sit in a room with another person that you care deeply about and start to negotiate that is often deeply painful, fracturing, fights happen, people have deep emotional hurt. 
Mm-hmm. Um, maybe walk us through some of your thoughts on negotiation generally, but specifically what does healthy compromise look like so that you're not poking each other as you're trying to have these conversations? Yeah, that's a really, really great question. I think when it's these, when you're in these moments with your partner and there's a lot of heightened emotions, right? And there's probably trauma, right? Um, and there's a lot of our wounds being um, pricked. And and by the way, how could there not be trauma, right? Like we all get trauma. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so step back even, you know, even before like the sex conversations, like this should be implemented in, in your relationship um, regardless, you know, this should be there regardless. And what should be there is I'm going to go back to this idea of like attunement and empathy and what that really actually looks like. Because I think that we're, we don't always, we don't actually know sometimes we think we're being empathetic, but we're really not. Um, And what can happen a lot of times in relationships is like blaming and being defensive and attacking and, you know, these defense um, tools that maybe we had when we were children that maybe helped us survive. And like, um, we call this in somatica, like kept us like psychologically intact. So when we have these triggered responses, like the first thing we should do is thank our reactions, say like, thank you. This has served me in the past. You helped me survive through a lot of shit when I was young. Thank you. You know, first thank it so that you can move into a space where you're not always reacting and you can, you know, calm yourself and use adult tools. Some of these adult tools might look a little less appealing because they're they're not ingrained in us, you know, but it's things like really, really actively listening to what your partner's saying and not like having to respond, like just literally letting them share their, taking turns, having them share how they feel and listen and validate how they feel. When you validate their feelings, it doesn't mean you have to fulfill what they're saying. It's not your job to make them happy or fix it. It's really not. And I think that a lot of people feel like they need to fix things. And when you try to fix things, you're not helping them heal, right? You're not giving them that independence and letting them sit with their emotions and unload. You're trying to fix it which is a lot of times what like scared parents do for kids and it doesn't really teach them a lesson sometimes. So when you're feeling these big emotions, you just want a space to be heard. Um, and your partner can, what they can do when you're, when you're, someone's telling you these emotions, what you can do as the receptive partner is repeat back exactly, you know, the word that they were using. Like, I know you're angry right now. If they say I'm feeling angry, like if they can muster up some emotion words. Great. Like say like, I hear that you're angry, you know, like I, I hear that. Um, it makes, it makes sense why you'd feel this way, you know, like that's truly empathizing, not just, you know, dismissing and saying, I'm sorry, like, okay, it's my fault. I'm going to fix it. Not saying, okay, but you do this all the time, you know, like it's actually letting them have their feelings and you're not trying to fix it. And you're not trying to, you know, tell them they're wrong. So I think that that is really at the core when it when you start getting into the weeds of arguments with your partner and which can arise during like sex negotiations especially when it's picking at you know these wounds you might have from from childhood and it's it's not easy to do that it's it takes you know that's why patience is so crucial and knowing like you don't have you don't have homework you don't have to solve this in one night you know you don't have to achieve this it's going to be a long process let me throw yeah. a quote at, let me throw a quote at you and see what you think 
Um, This was a quote I ran into about maybe a year and a half, two years ago, in the middle of my wife and I trying to figure out how we negotiate sexuality. And, And this was the quote I came across. It said, within ethical and legal constraints, we all have the right to push for what we want from our partner and to suffer the consequences for pushing too hard. Similarly, we have the right to deny our partner's request and to suffer the consequences for shutting them down. But we need to remember that nothing in a relationship happens in a vacuum. It is influenced by what came before, as well as what else is going on in the relationship. So generosity can be rewarded and bad behavior can be punished in more ways than one. Therefore, we have to keep the bigger picture in mind. What price am I willing to pay for this? If it's worth it, then it's worth it. But since life and relationships involve compromise and sacrifice, we have to consider the potential ripple effects. Your thoughts on, on, on that quote? Hmm. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. I think what first popped into my mind was um, the experience of disappointment, um, disappointment in relationships, which is natural and going to happen. Yeah, inevitable. Uh, help, help, you know, it's inevitable. Yeah. Uh, and something that I was exposed to it, through my training was that, you know, disappointment is actually really important and there's a lot to learn from it. Um, and that it's okay. Like, you can't oh you can't make everything better all the time you can't you can't avoid disappointment and there's a lot to be learned when it happens so sitting with it um afterwards and feeling like okay how can we move on how can we repair from this is crucial to relationships and you know maybe you do push too hard right what happens then you know what does accountability look like what does that look like for your partner um what what do they need emotionally? How do they how can they build trust with you again? Um, I think that's that's inevitable and that could happen if you if you do push too hard. I think a way to avoid that um, is having these boundaries conversations, you know, um, and and really being diligent in paying attention to your partner's not just verbal verbal consent but bodily cues. You know, um, there's a lot there that if you know they're recoiling or their 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 face is turned away or that you know their body is kind of stiff like these are all signs that they're not enjoying the moment um if it's you know you're having like a physical like sexual moment um but i think also what happens in a lot of like marriages or long-term relationships is um like this obligation sex and like letting your boundaries be crossed um or purposely not, or purposely abstaining from sex and not letting your partner access sex with you because you're resentful of over something. Um, and that was an oh that that was another thing I really wanted to talk about too is like if you already have a lot of resentment in your relationship, like that's something that needs to be healed before you start negotiating sex. I think because that's what's gonna start activating your defenses because you're still not healed over some things, you know, maybe you're not spending as much time together and, and that makes one partner really upset. Um, so you, or, or there's been like lying issues or something like that. That is important to be upfront and, and discuss before trying to negotiate again, like, like sex, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I love that. And I love what you said earlier too, where you said, be thankful for your protective mechanisms, right? Be, be thankful for, um, the feelings that you have that no longer serve you, they're no longer beneficial to 
developing and growing in this space and giving your partner space to develop and grow as well, but to acknowledge them. So when, you know, if somebody's deciding to have an open relationship, for instance, and those feelings of jealousy come back up, which people report continually do, it's something they're always kind of dealing with. You can say, thank you for that. Right. Um, and, and acknowledge it, which I think as I've done that in other places in my life where I've said like, oh, here comes this protective mechanism that wants me to, you know, lash out against somebody to put my world back in order. I can go, oh, wait a minute. I notice it. There it is. I just felt that. I'm going to acknowledge it as you're pointing out. And then that gives you such a better space to deal with it and not have it interfere with how you act in the world. So beautiful advice there. Um, yeah. You talked, we talked earlier about, um, kinks, for instance, and I want to kind of go off the record here from, I say off the record, but I want to go off the, the questions that I've asked you. And I want to ask just a couple of things that I didn't write down. Um, the idea of kinks, again, my friend in the story I shared earlier, he was so worried that what he was sharing was going to be uh, embarrassing and cause me to see him as less than what I did. Maybe talk for a moment, like everybody has something, right? Like everybody has a thing and we all think our thing is weird. What's that? <laughs> I said, maybe multiple things, you know, yeah. like there, there could be more than one thing. Um, so you want me to speak to kind of give some comfort around that, you know, we're all, we all, we all have these things, right? And every, yeah. Everybody's um, got a thing in their head and they want to know, they want to know that this yeah. is just normal human expression. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. The things that I've been exposed to now make me look at, honestly, like you could bring me any fetish and I would try to understand it because again, you go back to the feeling that there, that there's, there's a reason. Um, and I think that, Oh, oh not, I think I know, um, from, from the founders of my program and from this, also this, um, this author, Jack Morin, he, he has a really good book called the erotic mind. It's really in depth about fantasies and desires and how, where they stem from. But so there's kind of this like erotic equation, I believe he calls it, which is, um, um, so, in order to be like aroused, you know, there has to be like an obstacle. Um, and what my uh, founders have really emphasized is that this obstacle tends to be like a childhood wound that we look to soothe. And fantasy kind of operates as this way to soothe and heal what we were not receiving. Because no matter what, your parents could be amazing. It doesn't matter. You are a whole human and, you know, you'll never have all of your needs and wants met as a child. Um, so when you grow up, um, you're kind of, you have this, you know, subconscious effort to have this met. And, um, it might look like there's two ways that you could look at it. There's like reparation, um, sorry, resolution based fantasy and desires, and then repetition with agency, which really help us understand and kind of, um, sift through what the, what is at the crux of the desire. So, you know, for instance, let's look at if someone, um, there was one. So if someone, so a resolution based fantasy might be, you know, if you did not receive a lot of, um, affection as a child, you know, you felt very alone. Um, you know, one of you, a, a desire you might have or a fantasy you, you might have is, um, like an orgy, you know, where you're with tons of bodies and you're, you know, you're, you're taking each other in and you're getting lots of attention and you're feeling wanted. Like, but if someone just told, just had that fantasy and didn't connect it to their why connect it to their upbringing, they might feel like really, you know, icky because of the shame around this 
sexual fantasy. You know, it's outside of what's accepted. But when you anchor it to what you didn't receive, it, it starts to feel a lot more juicy, honestly, and like, and like wholesome almost. You're like, oh shit, that makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, and then with um, resolution, uh, repetition with agency, excuse me, that, that would be for the other desires. Um, let's say you, you see this a lot with, so um, non-consensual or rape fantasies are actually incredibly common. Um, you know, it's many women have them. And it, a lot of times it's actually um, survivors of sexual abuse, uh, men or women, you know, have this fantasy um, or de- this desire because we call it repetition with agency. You know, maybe you're turned on by this aspect of um, domination and coercion because you're with a um, you're willing this time around and it's safe and consensual with a partner who genuinely respects your boundaries. And that can be super appealing and comforting and safe and healing fantasies can having your fantasies met can be very healing that's also why the bdsm community is thriving because it's not that they were you know it's not that the bdsm stuff makes you messed up though some people incorrectly kind of you know theorize that that oh this 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 kind of sex is wrong and and it makes you know you're messed up it's more like how about maybe our childhood had some uh turmoil and we now have found this community or found this kind of these kinds of outlets, sexual outlets that help us um, work through and like play with what has happened to us. And uh, we can actually heal around these memories. Um, it, can, it can be really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's got something or multiple things. And we all think our thing is embarrassing. And in and, and some groups and within some spaces, if that thing is discovered, then it is. But the reality is like, if we all sit in a circle, every one of us might go like, oh, you know, that person shared their thing, but I've got mine and I don't want to tell mine either. Like we all have it. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's normal humanity, as you're pointing out, like it's shaped by our, our childhood. It's shaped by the way that we um, form opinions about sex as we're growing up. I, I remember listening to a podcast episode that was on kinks and it was uh, a lady who did personalized videos to her clients who wanted her not even to be naked, but to be in just like sexy, sexy lingerie or a swimsuit and then pop balloons. Sorry. Sorry. You just cut out for just a second. Yeah, what no, was no, that? What, what? It was a podcast I was listening to where uh, a lady was, was say that again. No, I just, I heard everything up to the part that she was not in, she was in clothes or she was in. Oh yeah. So she, she wasn't even naked. She was wearing like a swimsuit or sexy lingerie okay. and she would pop balloons for her clients. That's what she did. And these people would pay lots of money. And, and at first I'm giggling, I'm chuckling as the podcast is saying this. Cause I think this is strange, right? Like everybody else's kink is strange. Mine, yes. my kink's pretty cool. Right. right. And, <laughs> and so as the episode went on, it started talking about these clients and how in their history, when they were children, they were deeply scared and frightened by popping balloons, like when a balloon popped. Yeah. And so this was like healing, as you're pointing out healing, like that's what made it come to mind is it's healing for these folks to like overcome this thing that scared them as a kid, but now turns them on as an adult. Right. Yeah. Um, I just listened yesterday to another podcast where somebody was talking about like squishing bugs. It was like their kink. Yeah. And, And so everybody has something. And again, everybody else's is weird and mine's pretty cool. But uh, I think you're lucky enough to. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And so we hope 
we hope that we can all as humans make space for others to have things that turn them on that are different than the things that turn you on. Um, I want to ask one last question, then I'll, I'll let you go. And it's this idea that on the first half of life, and I keep referring it to it that way, Richard Rohr is a uh, a Catholic monk who is very much deconstructed, even his own system, and and moves into what he calls that second half of life. In the first half of life, we we have this image that we can be all things to our partner. That when we get married, you know, we we date for a bit, we get engaged, we get married, and people that are listening to this podcast, again, having grown up in a rigid religion, they didn't have a lot of dating exposure. They didn't go out and date fifty people and then finally get married when they found the right one at age twenty six. Instead, they dated for three weeks in college got engaged, married a month later, and they've not had experience. And so when they get married, they've been taught by their religion that their partner is going to be everything they needed them to be. Mm-hmm. And one of the things my wife and I had to learn in, uh, in our understanding of sexuality was that my wife can't fill every single piece of me. There are pieces of me that are going to express themselves in other ways. For instance, masturbation, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, there's going to be every human being who has a healthy sexuality and has a sexual appetite. Again, I grant that there are asexual people and they may not need to express themselves sexually. But for those folks who feel a deep need, most of those folks are masturbating. That's normal. Mm-hmm. And, and yet it's easy for a spouse to be hurt, a partner to be hurt if they believe that there shouldn't be a need for that because we fill each other perfectly. Yeah. Maybe speak for a moment to this idea that no human being, and I don't want to say no human being because I think there are always exceptions, but collectively far and wide, almost every human being is not going to be able to fill every need, want, desire, yes. um, void, whole <clears throat> trauma that needs fixed or healed in another human being. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. And I think it's so important that we get this through our heads. Um, and I want to emphasize too, that it's not just religion that you know, says this, it's, it's the fairy tales of the happy ending with the prince and the princess, you know, it's, it's movies, it's television, it's books, it's, it's everything. Um, Heteronormativity, it's, it's everything. Um, There, no, I, I like this quote once, and I wish I could remember who said it, but basically, you know, we were not put on this earth to make others happy and to be someone else for them, to be, to be the best person for them. And I think we have this idea that our partners are here on earth to be who we want them to be. But actually what makes a beautiful partnership is when you accept and embrace and celebrate this person for who they are and help them find their true self and be supportive in that mission. And if you want to be with them through that journey, that's, that's great. That's a partnership, you know, but no one is here on earth to be the person you want them to be you know, and, and you can't change them. And if you do, you know, if you try to resentment might rise, like bubble up all that horrible crap. Um, and it's just important. Yeah. No one is here to fulfill all of your needs. No one's here to fulfill all of your desires. It's not your, it's not anybody's job. Um, you're here to, to find your true self, um, to, to be intimate along the way because it feels good and it's human. But again, it's no, not what you're not, you know, no one employed you, um, you're not there to do the job of making someone else happy. Um, and, and that, and because of that, exactly, you have, you find other outlets, you know, you, you have friendships, like we can expand what a friendship looks like. Like, you know, maybe you're doing things that traditionally you might do with a partner, but you're doing it with a friend and is everybody okay with that? Good. Great. Like 
then you have some a good formation there, you know. Um, maybe your your partner doesn't, you know, maybe your partner's okay with you going out and dancing with other folks because, you know, you like to feel alive in that way um, and you like to be social in that way, but they're a little more introverted. That's an agreement that can be, you know, worked through. That's a compromise that can be worked through and you can feel more fulfilled, but you should, there should never be this reliance that, you know, your partner can give you everything and anything. Yeah. And you don't, you deserve to be able to speak your truth and you deserve to have wants and needs and desires and not to feel shame over them, but you don't deserve to get everything. In other words, I can't demand that my partner give in to everything, that I am happy every day, that I get all the things I want, that I get the best of both worlds and get to have my cake and eat it too, right? Like that, that's not real. So in compromise, we're all having to give up something in order to get something. And you do have a right to pursue. If something's important to you, you have a right to pursue that, but you also can't be pissed then when you lose something too, because mm-hmm. that's that's just unfortunately the complexity of the human experience, right? Right. I think yeah. also this speaks to um, attachment and individuation, which are two models to refer to in our relationships where, you know, attachment creates that bond, that dependency, interdependency with your partner. But individuation is, you know, your freedom to be you. Um, and it's really important. And again, we, we, we do emphasize that in, in, my, in my program as well. And what separates us a little bit apart, I think, is when we work with couples, we're, we're saying, look, you know, let's strengthen your bond, but let's also ensure that you guys are getting what you want as individuals. You know, um, it, it, it's we're humans, right? And we, it's not so simple and we can't rely on each other for every, I mean, we can't rely on our single partner for, for everything. Um, right. That's like enmeshment and resentment. It's just, it also creates there's no distance between you guys and distance is needed for arousal so you know you're not going to be having good sex i bet <laughs> if you're depending on each other like that yeah it's also yeah all beautiful stuff veronica uh veronica funis uh is with us today we're having a conversation about how couples negotiate how shame plays a part in relationships um I, I just, I want to wrap up and I just want to say yeah. like, thank you. Um, I wish, I wish you well as you take on, uh, you know, this, the education that you are and moving forward and being like a big help to people. I wish everybody, and I was talking about this the other day with a friend. I wish everybody sometime in the first half of life in high school or something, they were given a, a course on this kind of stuff. Like we've been going an hour now and we've covered yeah. more ground in an hour than any kid yeah. learns before the age of like 18. Right. And, and yet yeah. these are, these are healthy tools. Um, these are health. This is healthy advice. This is good education for people to have a healthier adulthood and to be able to be happier and to seek out the things they need and to be able to negotiate and compromise within relationships. So I want to say thank you for who you are and what you're doing and um, the education that you're going about achieving so that you can be a, a help to others uh, moving forward to help kind of sort these things out. And unfortunately, the people that are going to come to you are going to be 40-year-olds and, mm-hmm. and and 50-year-olds and people trying to figure it out way later than they should have had to. Uh, people should have been given these tools much earlier. But thank you for your time today and appreciate who you are and the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think, I hope that, you know, the next generations to come will we'll see how integral sex is to our being, you know, and, and allow this education to permeate at a younger age so we can understand ourselves sooner. Um, 
I also just wanted to quickly give a, a plug to my the program that I'm in, um, Somatica Institute. If you guys want all of these, a lot of these ideas I've been talking about come directly from um, this book called Coming Together, which is by Danielle Harrell and Celeste Hirschman, uh, the founders of the Somatica Institute. And they do amazing work to deconstruct um, shame and help people have better sex lives. Um, and I'm always here if anybody wants to reach out to me. You can also uh, hit me up on my Instagram. That's uh, Sensual Suspects. It's a new account I've created, and I would love to hear from you guys. So thank you so much for having me, Bill. Beautiful. I will put all of those resources uh, in the episode notes. And I wrote down the erotic mind that you pointed people to. I would always point listeners to right. Sex at Dawn. There's also uh, – a book Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel yes. uh, that I yes, think is fantastic. And, uh, and another thing, just to point listeners to too, just for kind of your own free therapy, Esther Perel does a podcast, Where Do We Begin? Um, mm-hmm. And that podcast, each episode is its own therapy session with a client of hers. No names are mentioned, but man, every time my wife and I listen to those together, it feels like it's just marriage therapy happening. So, you know, I, that actually got me started into this. <laughs> like, really? Into my, yeah. It was one of the reasons I wanted to do coaching. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I love how all these things connect together. Uh, you've been Me great too. today. We we went one hour and we just covered so much ground. You were, you were oh, this is lovely. Yeah, really, really good interview and appreciate all the advice you had. Listeners, check everything out that we've talked about today. I hope that each of you have um, successes in negotiating sexuality in your relationships. And I, I think it makes for a happier, healthier, more well-rounded human being and a more well-rounded relationship with your partner when you can get to that place. So thank you guys so much and hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Until next time, this is the Almost Awakened podcast. Veronica, thank you again and everybody else have a great day. Please consider helping us keep this podcast alive by donating. You can do that by going to the website almostawakened.org. There at the top of the page, you'll see the donate button. Click that and send a few dollars our way. This takes lots of time and prep to do this podcast but we're excited to do it. Help us keep it going. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman.